everybody, and welcome to episode 48 of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai, and I'm the editor in chief of Auto Trader. And my name is Dan Alika, and I am Auto Trader's road test editor. So this came up, this podcast topic came up recently, and I know by the time this airs, we're going to be in like mid-February, yes. that, but that still means we've got like at least two months of solid winter ahead of us still. That's true. Um, I remember one time there was a huge snowstorm in like April. Yeah. Depressing. And, and that's just here, like, keep in mind, you know, we tend to, I don't want to feed the whole like, oh, Toronto center of the universe, but like, it is easy. <laughs> you just think about your local area, but like. Back in the day when I lived in Alberta, I remember, I think I've told this story before. I worked at a newspaper out there and uh, I was, I asked about the weather and they're like, oh yeah, if we make it through May 2-4, like without snow, that's kind of the end of it. And I was like, okay, like not terrible. And then we made it through May 2-4, no, no snow. And I was like, sweet, like summertime, here we come. And then it was a Friday and it was June 1st. And it snowed and it stayed for the weekend. And I was like, what is June 1st? June 1st? So, so yeah, we've had bad storms in, in April and been like, wow. But like, there are parts of Canada that are still very snowy, uh, you know, deep into the spring. So these tips apply. doesn't matter where you live. Uh, stuff like the winter tire tip. That's, that's just like, now I do want to say winter tire adoption rate has been steadily increasing kind of self-reported. I want to say I read recently that Canada wide, it's about 59%. I would much rather see it at a hundred percent, even if you live in lower mainland BC. Oh, absolutely. There, It's, it's not about snow. The biggest misnomer people call them snow tires. That's such an antiquated term. They are not snow tires. They are winter tires. It's about, yes, it's about snow, but it's about ice. It's, and more importantly, it's about the ambient temperature, rubber, gets hard like a hockey puck when the temperature drops, but the rubber compound on a winter tire is more pliable. It's more resistant to cold weather. So if you go and touch the tread blocks on an all season tire, when it's cold out, it's literally like pressing on a hockey puck. Like Mm -hmm. you cannot, there's no pliability whatsoever. If you walk over and do the same on a winter tire, it's the rubber moves. It's nice and soft and cushy. And that's the point. So they are winter tires, not snow tires. You need them anywhere that you live in Canada. It's silly not to have them. Yeah. This is an, oh, last episode I ranted about the government in the Transport Canada lighting mandate. Oh, that here's didn't another go, Dan rant. The Dan rant. The Canadian <laughs> government needs to mandate winter tires. This is crazy. This is, this to me is a non-negotiable. Quebec is the only mm-hmm. province that has done this and it's genius and it's been the case for years and people were upset and then guess what? They all got on with their lives and they bought winter tires because they had to. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, just for safety. And and another thing that I always, always, always want to tell people about winter tires is that even if you have all-wheel drive, you still need winter tires. I hear all the time that like, oh, I never bought winter tires because I have all-wheel drive. Yeah. Like, that is so wrong. And why? Because all-wheel drive does nothing to help you stop faster. Jody, there's a clever way to say it. It's all-wheel drive, not all-wheel stop. There you go. Okay. Okay. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, you can, sure. Extra traction is great. I am, am fully on board. I used to have a Subaru at back that had full-time all-wheel drive, loved it, appreciated the benefits of it, but that didn't mean I could slow down any sooner if I hit black ice or whatever. So be smart, get winter tires and 
Let's get on with the episode. Yeah, so I really wanted to do this episode about uh, winter driving advice. That you know, you might you don't learn this stuff in driving school, right? You learn、Fair. by experience or you learn by researching it on your own.、Mm-hmm. And so I always remember, like a couple years ago,、uh, that we had huge snow, like a foot, maybe more of snow, and we saw this guy in a pickup truck just stranded in in this pick in this、uh, parking lot that had not been、uh, cleared yet. Yeah. Um, so we were like, "Hey, do you need any help?" And he's like, "He was from Jamaica." He said,、uh, and he's like, "This is my first time seeing snow." I'm like, "Why did you drive into this lot?" He's like, "I didn't know." He just didn't、That's, know. Yeah, and so、fair. I feel like there's so many people in this situation where they just don't know because、yeah. nobody ever told them, and this is their first winter. Yeah. So I wanted to to talk about these、uh, classic, you know, winter driving wisdoms that. That you could use, but are also really useful for people who have experienced winter before too.、Um, yeah. And this guy, he had a rear-wheel drive truck with an empty bed, and so he was doomed from the get-go. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's. So just starting with this guy. Wait, before you go on, because you said right from the get-go, and I told that story about when I lived in Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell the rest of you. Jody knows this story. Uh, 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 I don't know if I'll name him. Maybe I'll just. It'll just be a former coworker.、Uh, great guy. Incredible photographer wasn't necessarily like he didn't come in as a as a good journalist and and the guy that hired us,、uh, his name was Fred Rini. He was our editor.、Uh, he died a few years ago, but anyways, he hired Aaron because oops, I named him anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so he hired him because he was like, listen, you can't teach、uh, an eye for photography, but you can teach somebody how to string some words together. So as a reporter, it made a lot of sense because we, you know, newspapers have been in decline for years, and and having staff photographers just isn't realistic.、Uh, so, but when Aaron would transcribe interviews, he would just hear things, hear terms and turns of phrase that he'd never heard before, and instead of ask Google whatever, he'd just write what he heard. And、uh, so there was one that he was transcribing this quote from somebody. And、uh, in his mind, he heard right from the gecko,、uh, like direct from the lizard's an, mouth. An I guess. <laughs> so he wrote that. So, anyways, it just reminded me that you. I love that. There's a whole、yeah. Reddit about that called Bone Apple Tea、yeah. instead of Bone Apple Tea.、Yeah. But that's the thing. I've only ever read these. Yeah.、Um, but but Aaron was good for for、uh, every once in a while he'd have a genuine one that I'd hear or read like. That he had just written, and it was always just cracked us up. That's so, so charming. I love that. Anyways,、kind of、stuff. back to back to the get go of your story. Yeah. So this guy who was stuck in an unplowed parking lot、yes. in his empty rear wheel drive truck. Yes. What is your top tip for getting him out? I mean, I, well, first, a don't drive into unplowed areas. Yeah.、Um, but so first of all, like we just talked about, winter tires are an absolute. Um, when it comes to a rear-wheel drive truck like that, you know, put put some weight in the bed. It doesn't matter what it is, but you're going to want you know a good couple hundred pounds over the rear axle because an empty truck like that means you know aside from the shell of the the bed itself, there's no pressure that's you know providing traction. There's no weight pushing down on the wheels,、uh, so that is an, is another one. The other thing I will caution, and it doesn't matter whether it's front, rear, all four wheel drive, all of them, be、um, you know judicious with your throttle input. 
Yeah. So that's a huge one. Your mind will tell you just to slam the throttle more, to try more to get pedal, out. More skinny if you will. Yeah. yeah um, bad idea. But it's actually really counterproductive. Yeah. It can, you know, it digs ruts. Uh, you, I've seen it happen both in snow and, you know, in in mud going four wheeling, where you just, you know, you get buried up you to get your rock, yeah, deeper. up to your rocker panels or bury the axle, and you're not going anywhere after that. Whereas if you even if you get stuck in a situation where you've been gentle with the throttle, um, whether it's somebody pulling you out or pushing, you're able to do it fairly easily. But once you get buried, you're you're going to need some serious help getting getting that vehicle unstuck. It took us three people to help get him unstuck. Yeah. We had, uh, I think I was driving. We had another guy. We were rocking it back and forth. Yeah. And we had like the two guys pushing um, yeah. It took us a while to get yeah. him out there, but he was really grateful um, and he learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just, you know, stay, do, do your best again, even if you have all wheel drive and winter tires, um, you know, a, an unplowed parking lot is, it's a risky place to go, especially because you don't necessarily know how deep the snow is. So you might say, well, I've got all wheel drive and I've got winter tires, but if the snow is too deep, you know, that stuff isn't, isn't necessarily going to help you. So that's, that's a, a place that I try not to venture. Yeah, absolutely. Now um, part of the other thing to consider is like, and I had this when I went down to the, to Buffalo to go to that Bills playoff game, uh, Buffalo had got hammered with, with snow. The game was pushed back a day because of it. And there was just a ton of snow. And so, you know, you get those situations where, the mouths of driveways, intersections, they get all that snow and slush that builds up falling off of vehicles and, and whatnot. Um, that's a scenario where you're going to need more throttle um, to kind of power through it. But again, just be, be, be thoughtful in how you're applying that extra throttle. A, make sure that you're not going to, you're applying so much that you're going to careen out of control and, and, you know, hit somebody or, or go off the road or whatever. Um, but what I mean is if you're approaching, you see, see the snow, there's no way around it. You know, you have to go through it and you're cruising at city speeds, let's say 50 kilometers an hour, just a little bit more momentum is what is going to take to get through, but don't just like hammer down and go just, you know, be, be very measured and thoughtful in, in how you're applying that throttle. Yeah, for, for winter driving, but all driving smooth inputs is safe inputs. Yes. That's what I always tell people. Yeah. You don't want to do anything too jerky because, uh, that's when things go sideways and literally. Yeah. Um, so that's another point is keep, keep the wheels straight, keep them pointed in a straight line because let's say you apply a little bit of steering, but what's going to happen is your tires are going to, you know, do what's called plowing. They're going to push their way across. You might kind of forget that you've you've turned them. And then once you hit dry pavement or whatever, once you find traction, the vehicle is going to kind of dart in whatever direction the the wheels are pointed. So just, you know, try at all times to, to make sure that the vehicle is pointed in a straight line. That's when you're going to apply the throttle. You're going to push through. If you feel it start to get bogged down. You'll new driver, you know, novice or veteran, it doesn't matter. You'll know, you'll be able to tell if, if, if the amount of throttle you've applied is enough, if it's really starting to slow you down, then, and you're, you're in it, there's no choice. That's the point where you apply a little bit more. And same thing. If you just feel yourself slowing down more, but don't overdo it. And if you come to a dead stop, 
no more throttle back <laughs> off. And, you know, if you're in a live lane of traffic hazards on and kind of assess the situation and go from there, but don't just keep, you know, hammering the throttle and expect the results to change. That's not how this works. Yeah. That's not, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, the other tip that I learned from both of my parents and they were like really strict on enforcing this is that you have to keep your tank as full as possible. Yeah. I don't let my tank go past half, yeah, but my mom good. is like 75%. She yeah. won't go past 75%. That's fair. The The dilemma for me is because, you know, Jody and I don't drive our personal vehicles very often because we're always testing new vehicles so that we can, you know, tell you guys all about them. And because of that, you know, fuel, like, yes, it's it's better now than it once was, but it does age. It does start to break down. Um, I drive a diesel. Well, both of us drive diesels, and which means that, you know, we don't have to fill up as frequently. I can get, you know, a thousand kilometers out of a out of a tank. So that becomes my dilemma where a tank of of fuel will last me months. Right. So keeping it topped up that's what i like to do but then i'm like i've got all this old fuel sitting in my yeah for in, my tank, in your right? particular situation it wouldn't work but i'm just saying like that's why so i kind of you know let's say i bend my own rules a little bit um but but yes it's it jody and i are both of the mind that like minimum 50 percent uh full if po now of course if you're on a road trip or whatever it's just that idea that keep it as full as possible because you never know if you get in a situation where you know, you break down the other thing to keep in mind, especially with something like a truck, that's extra weight in the back. That's true. So yeah. having a full, full fuel tank, that's, you know, a couple hundred pounds of, of with one of those huge, if you've got like a 120 liter tank, that's a lot of weight yeah. to have in the back. So and that's going to help you get extra traction in exactly. case you do get stuck. But Jody, why don't you tell them one of the big reasons why you should keep the, the tank as full as possible? Uh, well, for me, it's just in case you get stranded, right? And so one of our contributors, Justin Pritchard, he's from Northern Ontario, right? So he has a lot of experience with winter driving. He Some might say he travels thousands of kilometers through Northern Ontario conditions. Every, every year. Every year. Yeah. So he really he, likes he's to push He's seen that. it a lot. Yeah. And so he wrote this really great story um, about explaining how you can calculate how long you can stay warm on a tank of gas. So if you are stranded and, you know, help is on the way, but you don't know how long it's going to take and you need to keep warm because otherwise, you know, you're going to get frostbite or, you're, you know, the wor something worse could happen. But or you're going to just be uncomfortable. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Who wants that? Yeah. And so there's a couple numbers you need to know here. Yeah. And I'm not good at math, but even I can do this math. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. So. Natural Resources Canada says that the average engine burns 0.6 liters of fuel per hour per displacement, uh, uh, sorry, per liter of displacement yeah. at idle. Yeah, keep it simple. If you drive a, a vehicle with a two liter engine, that means you're likely to burn about 1.2 liters of fuel, whether it's gas or diesel, for every hour that it's idling. So in a situation like that, oh, another piece of advice before we get too deep into this. Okay. Let's say you, you, you know, skid off the road, you end up in a, in a ditch um, and you're waiting for help. You've got your mostly full tank of fuel and you're going to sit there with the vehicle running to, to stay warm before, if it's safe to get out of the vehicle, 
um, let's say you're, you know, kind of four wheels down, make sure to clear the snow away from the tailpipe um, because you do not want those emissions kind of circulating around or up into the vehicle. Keep in mind, like, yes, it's a sealed vehicle, but there's a, everyone has done it. You drive, you smell, you know, outside smells, you smell gas after going to the gas station. So if you're sitting there for hours with that, you know, noxious gas, like you can, you can get carbon, carbon. Absolutely. Uh, and it will just creep and, up and, on you yeah and, yeah, and literally die. So definitely clear the snow. There was a, this isn't even snow related. There was a story um, last year. In, I, I want to say it was Virginia and um, three or four like U.S. Army soldiers or, or Marines or something like that. Um, were found dead in a car at a gas station, like 30 miles from the base or something like that, that they were stationed at. And at first it was like, well, what happened? Is it foul play? Was it drug overdose? Nobody. And it turned out that the car they were in had a huge exhaust leak that went unrepaired and they all died from, from carbon monoxide poisoning from just from driving. So keep it. That's, that's while in motion, right? All that exhaust was, was so it feeding happens into way the vehicle. faster than you think. Exactly. So if you're stationary for that long, clear the snow again, if it's safe to do so, get out of the vehicle and just make sure to dig, you know, let's say like two feet around where the exhaust, you know, comes out, wherever your tailpipe is, uh, to make sure that there's a kind of clear path for that, for that exhaust to, to dispel. That is very, very important advice. Um, So just getting back to this math. Yeah. 0.6 liters of fuel burning per per liter of displacement at idle. You need to know the 0.6 liter figure. Yes. You also need to know the displacement of your engine, which you can find. uh, You can Google it or it's in your owner's manual. Then you also need to know how big your fuel tank is, which is also you can Google it or it's in your user manual. Yeah. So how you do this math is you times 0.6 by the number of liters um, that your engine displaces. And that gives you how many liters of gas your engine uses per hour while it's idling. And then you take that number and you multiply it by the capacity of your fuel tank. And the result is how many hours you'll get at idle on a full tank. If you yeah. have half a tank, you divide that number in half, et cetera, et cetera. So, so again, just using that simple, you know, simple math, it's a two liter engine. You've got half a tank and it's a 50 liter tank. So you've got 25 liters of fuel and you know that it's going to burn through about 1.2 liters of fuel per hour. So give or take, you've got about, you know, 22 hours that you could safely, you know, idle before running out of fuel. Now, a couple more pointers in this. Yes, you know, A, it's terrible for the environment. B, if you've got yourself in this situation, obviously we want to make sure that you're safe and we don't wish that on anyone. Um, but keep in mind that, you know, in in that scenario, um, if you let the vehicle, it it's going to take more fuel to warm the vehicle back up. Mm-hmm. So again, just be very smart uh, and strategic in your approach because, you know, so basically let's say you go off the road, go into the ditch, you realize you're stuck. You're not getting out of there um, for a while. Let's hope that you can get help, a tow truck, whatever within, you know, an hour or so. But if it's going to be a little while, you know, use, keep the doors closed, windows closed. Obviously it's cold outside, 
but just be strategic because if you let the engine cool down entirely, it's going to take more fuel at idle to warm it back up to temperature, which means you will have less, you know, time on the clock, so to speak, before you run out of fuel. Um, so just be smart. But yeah, that's that's the basics of it. And then I wanted to address what happens in an EV. Like how long can an EV go in that same situation? Hours. Way longer than that, right? There, You could, you know, idle uh, an EV for literally like, okay, to give you guys a little bit of context, because obviously neither of us have ever done this, but when we shoot our video reviews, when it's, if it's a gas powered vehicle, you know, when we're doing all those beauty shots and whatever, it's like, turn it off and it's just an accessory mode because there's no need to, you know, to just be spewing emissions um, for no apparent reason. With an EV, you can leave it. And if it's hours of shooting in a parking lot or whatever, you might lose 6% mm-hmm. battery. Cap- and that's like, I'm being very, you know, worst case scenario. Um, I talked to a FedEx driver a couple when we went out for lunch with the rest of the marketing team just before the holidays. Oh yeah, and it was I an was, electric delivery. He was truck. driving a, a Bright Drop, which is a GM made. It's it's made in in Canada, right here in Ontario. Um, they're really cool. And I said to him, "Well, how long? Like, what's what's your range?" And he was like, "Well, like it's hard to say. Keep in mind, delivery drivers their their routes are unless you're talking about rural, but in the city, they're generally it's a pretty tiny route in terms of kilometers." Um, but he was like, well, in terms of like time, he's like, I only have to charge this thing once every two weeks or so. That's amazing. And and keep in mind, like, yes. Okay. He's got, you know, the, the benefit of regenerative braking. So that's going to offset some of the, some of the, you know, energy loss, um, by recovering kinetic energy and putting it into the battery. But like, if, if he can drive that thing daily, five days a week for two weeks, that, in the winter. In the winter time, that gives you an idea of how long you can idle, so to speak, in an EV. Uh, but yeah, there's no environmental impact of doing it. Mm-hmm. So if I were to get stranded in a snowbank in a vehicle, yeah, I would absolutely hope it's an EV. The counterpoint to that is they do, um, you know, internal combustion vehicles lean on their mechanical components, their engines to generate heat. That's where the heat is coming from. Obviously an electric motor generates very little heat. Um, So you'll notice EVs, you know, even though they warm up kind of instantly because there is no warm up time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they use heat pumps and some of them like, remember Hyundai had that like little accessory heater in the Kona EV for the passenger side footwell because it was like freezing cold on that. Yeah, it was terrible. Oh, I didn't even know they had that. It was hilarious. (laughs) Um, But anyways, the point being that it's not quite the same. And yes, there is going to be some some significant range loss if you've got the temperature set to 30 degrees and the fan at full speed, of course, because there's no kind of uh, residual heat being generated by an engine, but yeah, you could be in an EV for hours, not feel guilty about the environmental impact and just have it running and listen to the radio, have your heated seat on whatever. Yeah. I was going to say the heated seats and heated steering wheel basically take no power to run. So that's a really great option. But you know what bothers me, uh, often in whether it's EVs or, or internal combustion vehicles, 
there is no, um, more often than not, I find you cannot use the heated seats and heated steering wheel without it being on. Like they won't work in accessory mode. Oh. So that's one of those things where you're, st- you're still going to have to turn the vehicle on. Uh, but again, it's like not the end of the world, right. especially in an EV because it's, you know, it's, there's no emissions. So. Okay, there's two more things that I wanted to go over. One of them is tire pressure. So we all know we're supposed to check our tire pressure all the time. I don't think a lot of people do it, but please tell us why it's extra important in the winter. I'm also not here to to play holier than thou. I don't do it as frequently as I should, uh, especially in the winter because it's cold and miserable. (laughs) But I do have a tire pressure. I do not, first of all, I do not rely on the tire pressure gauges that are built into the, to the air pumps that you would use at a gas station or whatever, you know, they usually do work, but they're broken. They're just not accurate, whatever. So have one with you. The reason why is just rolling resistance, right? You doesn't matter whether it's winter or, or summer, uh, you know, a, a deflated tire takes more energy to turn Therefore, you're going to burn more gas, whatever. In the wintertime, it becomes more problematic because air is thinner. You know, those molecules tend to escape from a tire because it's just cold outside. That's how science works. And that's also why nitrogen fill is a is a good option. Basically, the molecules are larger, um, so they're not as prone to escaping the way that, you know, just putting air in a tire would would uh, happen with time. But yeah, that's the big reason why is is the rolling resistance is is poor with a deflated tire and they tend to deflate more in cold. Cool. And the last thing, and this this one can be kind of controversial, but is rust proofing worth it? No. I mean, that's the listen, maybe, you know, 40 years ago, um I would have said, yeah, I mean, I wasn't alive, but I, you know, <laughs> if, if this were you know, let's say like the eighties, I'd be like, yeah, it's, it's probably a good call nowadays. No, I just don't. Um, all new vehicles go through a corrosion prevention process. It's like a bath that the body before it gets painted, gets dipped in. The problem is not all like all these rust proofing processes, they're different. Um, so I'm not painting them all with the same, with the same brush, but the ones especially that you want to avoid are the ones that they, you know, drill holes in the, in the body. The reason why is I'm not saying that all, you know, car companies are, are evil and they're looking for ways to screw you. But if the structure has been compromised and you bring it in for a warranty related issue or that, you know, it does start to rust and you go, well, this shouldn't be happening. And I've got this corrosion warranty on the vehicle uh, and you bring it in and they find that you've that that somebody has drilled in to to rust proof that could void that warranty. Um, so then you end up getting doubly screwed yeah. by your own doing. So I wouldn't do it. Those stupid little devices that you can buy that supposedly like send these like pulses of electrons through. They do not work. Snake oil. Exactly. Uh, so no rust proofing. Yes, we have, you know, we rely on too much salt in our diets and on our roads. That's just like a weird addiction that we have in Canada. Love salt. Not all of Canada. Um, lots of places use sand still. That was, remember people would always like post cars on auto trader and it was like Alberta car. That's because Alberta typically, you know, is a, is a sand sanding 
province as opposed to Ontario, which is all about the salt. Yeah. We use a lot of brine now, too. Now brine and um, it's beet juice. Beet juice. For whatever. I don't know if you guys know this, but oftentimes when when you see those trucks that are spraying liquid like de-icing and they have big signs probably because some conspiracy theorist was you know they're you know well wouldn't it just look like a crime scene no it's not because it's so light it's a mist right but no they're not what is it bottles of beet juice they just like i was just picturing like streams of no but but that's what the what the what the spray is because it doesn't it doesn't uh it's not as affected by for whatever reason it 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 isn't affected by deep cold so there's a certain temperature. I can't remember what it is offhand, but there's a certain temperature where salt becomes less effective. And that's when, you know, this de-icing fluid. And oftentimes it's a, it's a beet juice spray. Delicious. Yeah. I, I mean, I like beets. I wouldn't drink I that I wouldn't lick stuff. it off the road though. No. Well, <laughs> you're a little weird. It's true. Um, before our Ask an Expert <laughs> segment, here's a message from your friends at Auto Trader. Struggling to find the car you want? AutoTrader always has hundreds of thousands of cars for sale all across Canada, making it a great way to find a great car at a great price. Visit AutoTrader today. So today's Ask an Expert comes to us from C.A. Badley. And it's in regards to the Canadian government's mandates for 100% of new passenger car sales to be EV by 2035. Yes. So they ask, in 2035, will hybrids still be sold in addition to EVs? Uh, Great question. This is a very good question. The answer is no, not conventional hybrids. However, as of right now, plug-in hybrids are still part of this ZEV mandate, which stands for Zero Emission Vehicle. But... Again, as of today, the minimum range, uh, all electric range would be 80 kilometers. So plug-in hybrids that can travel at least 80 kilometers will still be sold new in Canada as of 2035 alongside battery electric vehicles and hopefully more hydrogen Mm -hmm. vehicles. But conventional hybrids um, will not be sold. Yeah, so I think PHAVs, Yes. are going to be really major, um, especially, I think, for a lot of... I disagree. Really? You think so? I was thinking from, like, a enthusiast standpoint, performance car standpoint. Yeah. I feel like it's... I don't want to say it's a loophole, but it's a it, little it, bit of a loophole, totally a loophole for for automakers to continue to sell vehicles without fully committing to EVs. Just to be... Like, I would like to see that be the case, Um but I think there's a reason why some brands have just skipped. Like, look at Genesis. Yeah, they went right to EVs. Right to EVs. Um, and lots of brands, if you if you talk to them, they're PHEVs. P, what do you like to call PH, PHEVs? Yeah. Um, they are not part of the plan. I think that that is like a Band-Aid solution. Mm. And I agree. Like, in theory, it would be a great idea. I, and I could be wrong. And hopefully... You know, episode whatever, 1200 of Own the Road with Auto Trader, we'll be sitting here talking about it and being like, wow, Jody was right. Or um, more likely, no, I'm kidding. But anyways, or that I was right and that plug-in hybrids do not become as or or do not kind of um, gain in popularity the way that they probably should or could. I think like electrification is is the direction and plug-in hybrids are 
going to fade just like yeah, the rest of the, the gas powered vehicles. I would hate to see is you know someone like I don't want to name names, but let's say Dodge for example because yes. they are very late to the EV and the Welcome to the brotherhood. Trade. Exactly, the brotherhood of muscle. So I feel like this would be a great way for them to continue offering big honking V8s that are gas guzzlers, but you know you put a battery in there, it's all good to go. Yeah. And whether or not people are actually going to plug it in, that's you know to be debated because I a lot of people apparently don't plug in plug in hybrids, but buy them to get the benefits that those yeah. drivers get, and like, they qualify for for incentives. Rebates, yeah. um, you know, you can use the the high they, occupancy lanes. You get you know you yeah. can park in. The only benefits. the other thing I'll say though that I don't know how this is going to play out. Um, I would imagine it'll you know the government will say no, but Ram has that Ram charger, right? which is like, basically, you know, Ram's making it seem like it's this, if you guys don't know about this, it's a, it, it's basically the Chevy Volt of pickup trucks. So the first gen Volt, when it came out, it was really novel, but it was this idea that it was battery. It was an electric vehicle, but it had this range extender. It had a gas engine and that would just charge it on the go. You know, BMW did it with the i3. You could get it with this little range extender. Other brands have done this. Ram's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's got infinite mileage. I like, hate that language that they use, the infinite range. Yeah, it's it's such, just very misleading to me yeah. because it's not infinite. Yeah. It's only infinite as long as your gas tank is full. <laughs> so the loophole there is like, well, it's not powering the wheels. It's, it's a generator, and it's just putting you know, energy into the battery. I think the government's going to say that that's got to go too. Um, but anyways, that's, that's kind of where we're at. Thank you for your question, CA Badly. Um, if any of you have questions you would like to ask Dan or I, please email us at expert at trader.ca. Um, yeah, that wraps up this episode. So thank you so much for joining us. Drive safe and we'll see you next time. Bye guys.